In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then Elohim said, let there be light. And there was light. And Elohim saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Elohim called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Later on, Elohim said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So Elohim created human being, beings in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created them male and female. He created them, then Elohim blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over it. Then Elohim looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Let me pray for us. Elohim, we give you all credit. We give you all honor and praise tonight. You are the God who is the creator of all things the creator, creator of everything that we see and that we touch and that we feel. And most importantly, you are the creator of us, your favorite and most prized possession. God, you created us from nothing and you look at us and you're proud of us and you want to see us turn into something. So God, would you open our ears, open our hearts, to receive something special, to receive a powerful word from you this evening. And all of God's creation agreed and said, amen. 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 Well, thank you to Tom and to Blair for kind of that creative element. Thank you to uh, Ruth and Buffy for providing on the South Campus. Hello, South Campus. Why doesn't everyone turn around, take a good look at the South Campus and that center camera and wave? Everyone say hello. Hello, South Campus. Enjoy your comfy seats and your sticky floors. Um, so good to have you. My name is Jamie, and uh, I'm the assistant pastor here at Cross Point. And uh, we thought we might give Pastor Mark a break uh, from preaching. He's done like 17 weeks in a row. So we said, uh, I guess we'll just stick the other guy on. So you're going to have to sit with me for the next 30 or 40 minutes. But it's good because I'm talking about the Word of God, and that's really all you need to leave here with. Amen? <laughs> okay, good. We're getting there. Um, Cool. So we've been in a series called Yahweh. And what this series has been about is that we're going through uh, different names of God, uh, specifically some Hebrew names that we see throughout the Old Testament that, that really give a lot of the attributes and characteristics of who God is. Not just who God was in the Old Testament, but who he continues to be today in and around us. And today, we are going to talk about Elohim, God our creator. God who created everything around us. He created us. But not just Elohim who the creator is, but Elohim the Trinity. In fact, Elohim is actually the most used name of God throughout 
the Old Testament. We actually see the word Elohim used over 2,600 times within the Bible. About 500 of those uh, aren't talking about God specifically, and that's actually where the confusion comes in when we talk about Elohim, because the word is not only used as a name for God, but it's used as a word to describe other gods or, or kings or someone who uh, is a lord or has majesty about them. Sometimes it refers to angels and demons and spiritual beings and other gods. And so we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're actually going to have a little bit of a Hebrew class. Is that okay? Okay, I am not a Hebrew scholar. Everything I'm about to show you, I looked up on Google. Okay, so let's just get out of that way. But we need to know the etymology of the word Elohim in its Hebrew and Hebraic tradition. And so uh, we are going to look at Elohim. And the first part of this word is just simply El. E-L, lowercase e. And uh, that basically just means God. Not capital G God, necessarily, but lowercase g God, and it could mean anyone in pop culture. Does anyone know what Superman's dad's name is? Jor-L. J-O-R, and then capital E, capital L. Do you guys know what Superman's name is? Not Clark Kent. It is Cal-L. And because they were gods on the planet of Krypton. Of course, we're not here to talk about Superman and his dad or his, um, you know, origination and his home planet. That's not what we're talking about. But this is a familiar word to most Semitic languages to mean God. And so uh, this, could mean, uh, this could mean a God or it could mean a deity or it could mean um, a lord or maybe even an earthly king. And so the, the other part of the word that we need to know is the suffix I-M. And so the last two letters of the word Elohim are I-M. And this is actually a Hebrew suffix that gives something plurality. It means that there are multiple things. And so what gets confusing, 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 is Elohim... Well, we in the Christian faith, as I'm sure most of you are familiar, we serve one God. We, we, we follow one God. We surrender our lives to one God. So why are we talking about a God of multiple things? But that's where we need to learn that we are talking about capital letter Elohim. And so, why are we using this plural name? And that's because we see a glimpse of the Trinity in creation. And so it's used so many times in the creation story. Uh, this is what it says in Genesis 1.26. It says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And so Elohim, this being, is, is speaking in a plurality, speaking in, in a multiplicity sort of uh, phrase or word. And that's because this is us getting a glimpse of the Godhead. This is us getting a glimpse of the Trinity. Father, Spirit, Son, all 
at work in creation. The Godhead, the God family, the Trinity in creation. They were all there, all three of them. And we, we often think of, of God as this one big thing who one day created, but really the Trinity was there in creation. And so when it talks about Elohim, it is a plural word, but it is capital E Elohim. It's talking about God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with me so far? All right, let's continue on with this. In the second half of chapter one, he makes Adam and Eve. And he, he kind of sets the stage for them, and he says, all right, now comes my masterpiece. And he creates Adam, and he creates Eve. And Adam is a Hebrew word for humanity. And Eve is the Hebrew word for life. And when it says that God created them in his image, that's basically saying that God puts his goodness and his character and his creativity in all of humanity, in all of life, to reflect who he is. So Adam and Eve, who are created in God's image, are meant to reflect God's goodness and his creativity and his character. And he gives it all to them. And he looks at those kids and he says, it is good. He looks at them and he says, this, this is my greatest creation. These two people are reflecting who I am. They're in my image and they have free reign over the world and they're going to walk around and they're going to reflect who I am. Uh, anybody, raise your hand if you've got kids. Uh, for most of you, I'm sure at one point or another, your kids have come to you with a sheet of paper with some kind of scribble and say, look, mom, I drew your face, right? At one point or another, a kid has probably given you a piece of paper and said, look at my masterpiece. And you look at this and you go, what is this? You just don't know, but you don't want to crush your kid's feelings. So you just say, that's beautiful, honey. That, that's a wonderful piece of art. Or maybe for some of you, you, you kind of, you have this big end of year paper to write. And it's like 12, 15 pages long and you, and you finish it, you, you put the last period on it and you think, this is fantastic. This is really good, this is my best paper yet. And you hand it in and you get like a C minus, right? Or, or maybe some musicians, they, they tend to, to write music and think, man, this is like, this is my creation, this is my masterpiece. Or artists will take a look at their a painting and say, I think this might be my best work. And then you put it up in, in an art gallery, and people go, what was that guy thinking? Sometimes um, another form of art, and one of my favorite forms of art, is cooking. Some people know how to cook. My wife knows how to cook. And sometimes somebody will whip up a plate of some sort and you'll look at it and you'll go, this looks fantastic. This is, this is a work of art. Some people recently wanted to get their, uh, someone else's opinion on their works of art. Anyone uh, familiar with Gordon Ramsay? Yes, Gordon Ramsay. Um, he is a very popular, world-renowned chef. Um, has many TV shows, Health Kitchen, Kitchen Nightmares, Master Chef, um, and he also has many restaurants all around the world. Not only that, but he is known for his very um, abrasive personality and his potty mouth. 
Dude likes to cuss. And so those are the things that he's kind of known for. And so recently, these people have been sending him, via Twitter, pictures of their food masterpieces. And so um, him being uh, the world-renowned chef that he is and the honest guy that he is, um, thought, well, I better give them my honest assessment. And so let's take a look at some of these plates uh, the first guy says, is it fine to serve such portion size for an entree? And he says, has somebody been sick? He, he looks at it and goes, like, well, who was someone, did someone vomit on this plate? Another person says, what do you think of my friend's cake? And he says, it looks like my daughter's tortoise. Hey, how about this fried rice? I've been waiting for your answer, Master Chef. It looks like your eggs have been fried for two weeks. Next. What do you think, Gordon Ramsay? I'm more worried that you didn't hear your fire alarm, he retorts. What do you think of this taco bowl? Well, it looks like the inside of a kid's potty. And finally, what do you think? Should this be on the next... Uh, Gordon Ramsay menu. It looks like the inside of a dishwasher after its cycle. So someone loves, everyone loves their creation. They make something and they think, this is my masterpiece. But it's not necessarily perfect to everybody. Not every work of art is perfect. And so God, he, he makes Adam and Eve in his image and he says, you have free reign over the world. The two of them are running around in the new. They're just enjoying life. They, they have, um, they have uh, kind of the, the, the reign over everything. They, they get in charge of like naming animals. And they get to eat of, of every tree and every bush. They get just uh, the responsibility of doing whatever it is they want. And he looks at me and he says, but you have one stipulation. And we all know the Sunday school story. He says, don't eat the fruit of this particular tree. And just like any kid who you say, don't do that, they went and they did that. So they ate, they were deceived by the enemy, by Satan, who is in the form of a serpent. They're deceived by this snake. And of course, God is a little disappointed in them. He says, well, now I need to discipline my kids. At this point, sin has entered the world. The perfect masterpiece of God, who only had one rule to follow, messed it all up for a Macintosh apple, or a pear, or a banana, or whatever it is, it doesn't actually say. But they mess it all up, and so he says, it's time to discipline my kids. So he looks at the woman in Genesis 3.16, and he says, you're going to have pregnancy pains for the rest of your life. And he says, you're going to struggle with pride, and, and woman, you are going to struggle with, with self-worth. You're going to have struggles in your relationships. And then he looks at the man, and he says, you are going to have to work for a living. You can't have everything for free anymore. You, not only are you going to have to work for a living, but it's going to be hard. You're going to have to put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into your work in order to make a living. And he says, not only that, but he looks at the two, the two of them, and he says, you are going to die someday. Where you started from the ground, you're actually going to end up back in the dust. And so he disciplines his kids, his favorite creation. He still has to look at them and discipline them. But before he does that, he takes a look at the serpent. He looks at him and he says this. 
Because you have done this, and he's, this is God speaking to the serpent, you have cursed, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And this is Genesis 3.15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then get this, he says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And you look at that and go, well, who's he? I mean, he's talking to the snake, but who is he? Who is this one that is going to stomp on the snake's head? Who is it that, that is going to end death and end sin for good? Who is that? Well, that's Jesus. And when we know that, when we put that into the context, everything changes. Because all of a sudden, this, this Bible that we know, the whole story becomes about God wanting to redeem his creation. All of a sudden, the whole book is about redeeming creation. And from here, we see that Jesus was the plan all along. Jesus was the guy, he was the plan to redeem creation from the very beginning. As soon as they messed up, he says, it's all right, I've got plan B. His name is Jesus. And one day he's going to stomp on the head of the snake and he's going to defeat death forever. And so Jesus was in the plan all along. And it's because Jesus loves his creation. God loves his creation. Elohim loved his creation. And he looked at it and he said, this is so good. And because Elohim loves his creation, because he loves us, because he loves me, and because he loves every one of you, redemption was the plan from the very beginning. And because God invests in his creation, He's always looking for ways to redeem his creation. That's what the whole Bible is about in kind of one sentence. Because God invests in his creation that he loves, he wants to be, always be redeeming his creation. And so the, the question that we have, of course, is how? If God is so invested in his creation... What are the things that he's doing? What are the things that he's putting into place to redeem them? Well, the first thing is this. This is how he re redeems his creation. He makes himself first. God makes himself first. If you grew up in the church at all, I'm sure that you're probably at least a little bit familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, God has uh, basically just rescued Israel from Egypt, from the clutches of Egypt. And they're now making their way to the promised land. Right now they're in a tough spot. And in order to see the people continue to obey and trust God, he basically gives them some rules and regulations. And he says, if you can follow these, then our relationship is going to go pretty good. And so I want to draw your attention to Exodus 20, starting at verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. Now, we're all probably pretty familiar with that very first commandment. But when we look at it from the Hebrew context, it actually says, I am Yahweh your Elohim. 
you shall have no other Elohim before me. And so the Bible is giving us this kind of play on words. He says, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. I am the God, and you shall have no other Elohim before me. None of this stuff should go before me. And so he begins to redeem creation by putting himself first. And so when we see ourselves begin to put things ahead of us or ahead of God, when we begin to put um, other, maybe other gods or idols or kings or politicians or people ahead of God's rightful place at first, we begin to ignore the power of Elohim. This is what author Tim Keller said about this. He said, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an Elohim, a lowercase e, Elohim. It's an idol. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. And so, idolatry is kind of a vague term because it kind of represents a lot of the lowercase Elohim stuff. Flatter abs, sex, making it work, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, trying to impress people, becoming a success, making sure you, your life is filled with things. These are all idols. These are all things that sometimes we can put ahead of God. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's your wife and your kids. Sometimes you put those relationships ahead of your own relationship with God. Sometimes it's acquiring more stuff. Sometimes it's having more people in church. Sometimes it's competition from your next door neighbor, keeping up with the Joneses. Whatever it is, it can become an idol in our lives. And so ironically, that some of these idols are actually really good things. Some of the things that we put in our lives are actually very important. Like money is an important thing. Being healthy is an important thing. Parents, cover your kids' ears. I'll give you three seconds. One, two, three. Having a great sex life with your spouse is a really important thing. And, and building yourself up and working hard in your job, that's a good thing. And so sometimes the idols in our life are really great things, but we put them ahead of our God. And all of a sudden, God does not become first. All of a sudden, Yahweh is not our capital E Elohim anymore. We're putting the, the lowercase Elohim above him. And God says this. And he says, look. Because I am the one true God, I am the Lord of lords. I am the king of all kings. I am the host of hosts. I am the beginning and the end, the creator and the judge, the first and the last. I am the God of all gods, and I am the Elohim of Elohim. Do you understand that? And as, as we begin to place God first, we need to know that there is salvation in no one else. This is Acts 4. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He's saying if you don't make him first, 
if that one name is not on, this, uh, on your, your list of things to go first, th- then how are you living for God? Now, that being said, I don't think that we should place God on a list of things to do. And, and we can put him at the top, but when we do that, all of a sudden, all the things under it, we begin to see God within all of those things. And so if we make God first, all of a sudden, we begin, some of him begins to seep out of us into our relationships and into our bank account. Some of God seeps into our spouse and our kids and our relationships. And so it's really important for us to put God first. And so for a God who is invested in his creation, invested in your life, the first way that he redeems creation is to make himself first. And the second way um, that God redeems creation is that he makes a way. And a good example of this is, comes from Isaiah 43. And basically the Israelites are in captivity from the Babylonians and they have no idea what's going, going on and they're fearing for their life and their armies are, are being taken over. And so God speaks into a prophet named Isaiah and he gives Isaiah a word and he says, this is what you need to tell the people. This is God speaking. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel. This is God speaking to Isaiah. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships that they're so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like smoldering candle wicks. And he's saying, this is what I have done. These are the things that I've done in the past. And then it continues on in verse 18. He says, but forget all of that. Forget all of that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. Isaiah 43, 19, for I am about to do a new thing. I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls too for giving them water in the desert. I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. And so he's using these action verbs, these, these, these verbs about being new. I will make and I will create. I will give. He, he's making a way. He continues to redeem his creation by making a new way for us. And he's saying freedom for the Jews in captivity by giving them new hope and new opportunities and new redemption. Now here's the trouble with this, is that for those of you who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, for some of those who are maybe still on the fence, some of you will look at having a relationship with Jesus and having to surrender everything you have and everything you are, and you look at that and go, yeah, but it looks like God wants to cramp my style. It looks like God wants me to to stop doing this. 
If I follow Jesus, it looks like I'm going to have, have to stop hanging out with those people and going to those places and doing those things. It, it looks to me like when I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to subtract a whole bunch of things from my life, and I like those things. But following Jesus is tough sometimes, yes, but he's not, willing, he's not looking to subtract things from your life necessarily. He's looking to add things to your life. He wants to give you new ways. He wants to give you a new will. For, for those of you who are struggling with, with what God wants you to do right now, for those of you who are struggling with God's will, you don't know your next step, and you're in situations and you're in relationships where you just don't know what to do next. You have no idea how to get out of certain trouble. God doesn't want to subtract from your life. He wants to add to it. He wants to give you a new way. He wants to give you new relationships, new opportunities, new roads to walk. He wants to make a way for you. He's not looking to cramp your style. He's looking to add to your life. He wants us to experience a new thing, and so, of course, the gift of Jesus comes our way, which was a new way of thinking, and, of course, Jesus' death on the cross was a new way to redeem creation. God wants to redeem the creation he's so invested in by making a way. And then, of course, comes Jesus. And when Jesus comes along, he makes a new way, a new way of thinking, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, he makes us new. That's a messed up W, I'm sorry. He makes us new. One of my favorite stories from the New Testament comes from John 2, where we, for maybe for the first time, we really see humanness in Jesus. And we know that he is both man and God, but for the very first time, we get to see this emotion that we've never seen in of him in any other scripture, this very human side of him. This is John 2, starting at verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. And he also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Now, back then, um, People would actually have to walk days to the temple in order to bring their offering and make their sacrifices. They would sometimes walk for days with animals at their side in order to take them to the temple and sacrifice them so that God would take their offering. And so, and when they would get there, what started to happen was the priests had tables outside and he would, they would begin to say, okay, I need to see your animal. I need to make sure that it's good enough for you to have as a sacrifice. And so they would inspect these animals. And he would look at it and they go, no, I'm sorry, these are defective. You know, your, your, your lamb is defective. Your cattle is defective. He's got three horns instead of two or whatever the case may be. And these priests are saying, I'm sorry, this is not good enough. And they would take the animal and set it aside. And he's saying, but we have these wonderful, brand new, pre-approved animals in this pen right here. And you can buy them for the low, low price of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so these priests 
were corrupt because they're embezzling money from people who just want to give their offering to God. They're, because animals were currency back then. And so they're beginning to take their animals and they're beginning to take their offerings and say, put them aside say, but you can purchase these ones for us and this money, because they were corrupt, was going into Rome and the kind of bribes that were going on. And so Jesus walks in and he sees this and he completely loses it. This is what happens in John 2.15. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. So he took the ropes that the cattle were all tied up in. He tied them all together and he made a whip and he starts swinging it around. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and he scattered the money changers, uh, their, their coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. He sees the corruption that's going on. He says, this is not what God's house is supposed to look like. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If, if God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed it has taken us 46 years to build this temple. And you say you're going to rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Because the temple then was used as a very sacred place. It was the access point of heaven and earth, and people would come, and they would bring their offering and their sacrifice. And, and Jesus sees this going on at his father's house, and he just completely loses it. And he says, we need to do something about this. We need to start new. We need a new way of doing this. We need to stop with the animal sacrifices. We need one pure, spotless lamb, one more sacrifice that atones for everybody. And of course, he's referring to himself, Jesus being the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And he says, you're going to put me to death, but three days later, I'm going to stomp on the snake's head, defeat death, and sin for eternity. And so here we have Jesus making a new way because Elohim likes to start from scratch. Genesis 1-2 even says that. It says the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. There was nothing. And God spoke creation into being because God likes to start from nothing. And Jesus looks at the temple and he says, you need to bring this whole thing down. Bring the whole thing down, and I'm going to start new. We need to do, have a redo. So Jesus is saying this same thing. The only way to fix all the corruption and sin in our lives is to tear it down and start over. But here's the thing. It's not, not like they're doing upgrades on the temple. They're not doing renovations. They're not building a granny suite. They need to bring it down to the ground. And so he looks at us and he says, I am going to make you new, but we need to start from scratch. 
And so when you say yes to Jesus and when you allow Jesus to come into your life, he makes you new. You're not a recycled reproduction of who you once were. You are a new creation in Christ. You are not recycled. You are not renovated. You are not rebuilt. You are a new person in Christ. He likes to start from scratch, and that's good news for you. Because your slate is wiped clean. All the stuff, all the dirty laundry and the baggage that you brought into that relationship is gone. All the sin and all the stuff, all the situations, all the experiences that you brought in with you to your relationship with Jesus, that's gone. He's taken it down to the ground. You are a new creation in Christ. He's saying, I am enough. When Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead three days later, he made us new. He doesn't recycle our old selves. He makes a new creation. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. Since we believe that Christ died for all, and the Hebrew word for all is all, we also believe that we have died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely as from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, not a renovated or a recycled person, a new person. That old life is gone. The new life has begun. Amen? Amen. Elohim redeems his creation by making us new, by giving us new ways and new opportunities when we put him first. He is invested in his creation, and he is still creating today. God, God, God is not someone who created the world a whole bunch of years ago. And I'm not going to argue about how old the earth uh, is and how long ago what that was and maybe how many days it actually took him to make creation because it doesn't matter. It's because he's still creating today, and he wants to do a new work in your life today. And maybe you've been following Christ for I don't know how many years, but you're stuck and you feel lost and you don't know where you are and you don't know what's next. He can make you a way. He he can give you new opportunities and give you new relationships. He can give you a new way to him. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, He can make you new. You can start from scratch. You don't have to worry about all the stuff that you feel like you're dragging around with you. He makes us completely new. And so I want to pray for us tonight. And I want to pray for three specific people. I want to pray for those who are having a tough time putting him first. And you're not sure what that even means. But you want to know a new way how to make Christ first in your life. And the second people I want to pray for are those of you who are feeling lost. You're feeling abandoned. You don't know what's next. You don't know where God wants to take you now. You are lost and you're not sure of his will for your life right now. Well, he can make a new way for you. And I want to pray for the third person who maybe doesn't have that relationship with Jesus yet. I want to encourage you that 
you, you may not understand fully what that means yet. But if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God in creation with Elohim, and then he came to earth to show us how to live like a human, being fully God, and then died and then rose from the dead three days later. If you believe that, then there is, remember, there's salvation in no other name than Jesus. That's all you need to do is believe that. And he wants to make you new. And so here's what I'm going to get you guys to do as the band comes and gets prepared to lead us. Is I want you guys, everyone, to close your eyes. And maybe you want to bow your head. Maybe you want to, I don't know, take a nap, whatever it is. But I want everyone to close their eyes just for a moment. And I'm going to ask you, if you find yourself in that first category, if you're thinking that I just don't know what it means to put Christ first in my life, maybe you've taken relationships and you've put them on a pedestal and you've coddled people and you've tried to make them the center of your life. If maybe you don't know what it means to make Christ first, I want you to do, there's no one looking around, okay? I want you to stick your hand up in the air and we're gonna, I want to pray for you. Good. There are hands up. Be encouraged, church. You're not alone. There are people who just don't know how to make Christ first yet, and they're going to. And then there's the second group of people I want to pray for. You can put your hands down. Is that those are feeling lost. You're feeling abandoned. Maybe relationships recently have gone bad, and you find yourself in a place of just unknown. And you don't know what God has in store for you, but you want a new way. You want to find a new way. Again, everyone's eyes are closed. I want you to stick your hand up if you find that's you. If you're just looking for a new way, if you're feeling lost and abandoned, good. You're not alone, church. I'm going to pray for you guys in a moment. You can put your hands down. And then finally, again, all heads are down and all heads, um, all eyes are closed. If maybe for the very first time, you want to jump into this, whatever this relationship with Jesus looks like. If, if for the very first time, you want to be made a new creation in Christ, and you believe what the scriptures say about who Christ was and what he did for your life, if that's you, and for the very first time, you want to be made new in Christ, if you want to be a new creation, if you want to get rid of the old, in with the new, if that's you, if there's anyone here for the very first time wants to give their life to Christ, I want you to stick your hand up. That's good. Let me pray for us. God, you are the great creator. You are the great I am. You are the great Elohim. You are our father with the spirit inside of us, empowered by your son. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for creating us. We thank you for giving us new life. We thank you that you loved us so much that you were just invested in your creation. We thank you so much that you are always finding reasons to redeem us. We thank you that you loved us so much that Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Holy Spirit, continue to do work in our lives. 
even in these next few moments as we sing, if people need to, to maybe come to the altar and bring themselves there and take a friend to pray with them, God, we want to be made new in Christ over and over. That you would give us new opportunities, that we would put you first, that you would do a powerful work in and around us. And all of God's favorite creation agreed and said, 